about what God says about our tongue. And I trust that the Lord will draw a direct connection between not only our tongue and our heart, but God's tongue and God's heart. And how words are directly related to Advent and Christmas season. Join me again at the throne of grace as we ask for God's help once again, then we'll read Proverbs 15. Father, we need You, and I ask that You would do more in these few moments than we could do in a thousand lifetimes. Come and minister to us through Your Word written and Your Word incarnate by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Listening Guide says Proverbs 10, and we'll get there, but I'm going to read the first four verses of Proverbs 15. Listen to the Word of the Lord. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. This is the Word of the Lord. And on this final Sunday of Advent, for those that are just joining us, we're concluding today an eight-part series in the book of Proverbs. And today's theme from the book of Proverbs is the tongue. We've been thinking about wisdom for life, and today we're dealing with probably the predominant theme in the book of Proverbs as it relates to our horizontal relationships, one with another, and our vertical relationship with the Lord. That is the theme of our words. Wisdom and words. My prayer is that God would enable me to say a few things with my tongue in these moments that would indeed bless you for eternity. Faithful Gospel words, faithful Gospel words are the only highway on which God travels to the human soul. The New Testament says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. So the sermon in a few sentences would sound something like this. In God's infinite wisdom and love, He gave us both His Word written, that's the Scriptures, and the Word incarnate, that's the Lord Jesus wrapped in human flesh. And as God's words flow from His heart, revealing His character, so do our words flow from our heart, revealing our character. Well, that's the sermon in a few sentences or a synopsis of it. But the goal would be this. That we would reckon with the truth of Proverbs 18. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That we would be gripped deeply by the reality that Jesus meant exactly what He said in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12. I tell you, Jesus said, that every careless word that people speak, they will give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. 
For by Your Word you will be justified, and by Your Word you will be condemned. I trust that we already see that there is an, a massively important aspect to our consecrating our tongue to the Lord. Well, with these words from Proverbs in mind, there are three aspects that I think we can gather all the Proverbs beneath if we want to consider wisdom in the tongue. Number one, we must realize that words are weapons that can hurt. Or, words can be a balm that heals. They can be a weapon that hurts, and we all have experienced that uh, trust. And I pray that all of us have also experienced the reality that words can be a balm that heals. The hymn writer Francis Havergal in the 1800s said, Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages, Lord, from Thee. Words are weapons that hurt or a balm that heals. So under this first heading, the question is not whether or not words are powerful. We've all heard the broken adages that really don't match life. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Ironically, most people have been hurt by that phrase. The question is not whether or not words are powerful. The question is what kind of power will they wield? Will it be for good or for ill? Listen to Proverbs 12. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. Did you hear the first part of that? Like thrusts of a sword are a rash word. Many of us have experienced the stab of a rash word spoken. Some are still filleted open today because perhaps recently someone has cut you with their words. But on the flip side, we also know that the other portion of that proverb is true. We know what it's like to receive the healing that comes, quote, Proverbs 12.18, from the tongue of the wise. A timely word to a broken heart. Now, I want you to think about God and His words before we think about us and our words. When God uses words, they are constructive. They build up. They create. Life-giving, literally. When God created the universe, he used words. His words are constructive, productive. They are life-giving. That's why sins of the tongue are so serious to God. They are an undoing and an unraveling of the reflection of God that we are created to be. When we use words sinfully instead of being constructive like our God in whose image we are made, we are being destructive and bringing to ruin Words that hurt. Let's consider that for just a moment. Do you feel that you've been crushed and ruined by the words of others? Perhaps from a young age, all you remember is belittling comments. Why you don't measure up and why you'll never be good enough. Proverbs 26-28 says, A lying tongue hates those it crushes. And a flattering mouth works ruin. How do some words 
cut and stab. But other words, penetrate deeply, but in a way that heals. Like a sinner's, uh, pardon me, the sinner's knife is his tongue. He stabs, but the surgeon's scalpel can also be the tongue. Both causing a wound, but the intent of the first is to harm and the intent of the second is to heal. Our motives matter behind our words. A lying tongue hates those it crushes. Do you hear the motive? A flattering mouth works ruin. Proverbs 26. In the end, the New Testament tells us in many places, one of them being 1 Corinthians, that it's not just what we say that's going to be judged, it's going to be why we say it. 1 Corinthians 4.5 says it's our motives that will be brought to light. Hebrews 4 says God will fillet open our hearts and everything will be exposed to the eye of God. Many try to feel better about themselves, don't they, by putting others down. We feel taller if we can step on the person next to us. Gossip and slander. These are an attempt to step on a person beside us in order to try to feel bigger, to feel taller, to feel better. But the only people who speak in such a way are those who are small and weak and full of sin. Concerning words that harm, the one who speaks such words is actually the one receiving the deepest wound. Not the person to whom those words are spoken. Proverbs 12, an evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. Who's put in the trap when we use sinful words? It's not the person to whom we speak. It's the spokesperson who is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. Sins of the lip are a trap. Literally ensnare the person who speaks more than the person who is spoken to. Satan is the father of lies. Proverbs 10 says, the mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. To whom does the harm fall when we speak with sinful lips? Proverbs 10.32, the lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. Ironically, sinful words spoken to others, are a form of self-harm. Listen to the damage that is done to the spokesperson in Proverbs 21. The acquisition of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and the pursuit of death. You're killing yourself when you sin with your mouth. Proverbs 10 on your sermon uh, service handout says, in verse 18, he who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. In summary, we could say concerning hurtful words, if you're looking for the quickest way to ruin your life, God said you could simply spew out foolishness from your lips. Proverbs 13, 
The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips in a sinful way comes to ruin. It's why in our Grace Church covenant we say things like, we covenant together, dot, 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 to avoid all gossip and excessive anger. The list of sinful vices that God demands for His people to put off. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. Those who are in Christ are commanded to put off sinful vices in places like Colossians 3, verse 8. But now you also put these all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Why? Because you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And you've put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge of the image of the One who created Him. God speaks words that are constructive. Sinners speak words that are destructive. This is an Imago Dei issue. It's the restoration of the glory of God in our life which Christ died and rose again to restore in us. Why should we be constructive in our words? Because we're made in the image of the One who created us. Sins of the tongue are in diametrical opposition to God. It's the most ungodlike thing we can do to sin with our mouth. Because He not only tells the truth all the time, He is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, said Jesus, except through Me. The reason that Christians are not to abuse others with our tongues is because our God does not abuse people with His. The reason we're not to lie is because we belong to God. For whom, Hebrews 6.18, it is impossible for God to lie. If you destroy others with your words, it's because you've distorted the character of God in your heart. That's words that hurt. But under that first heading, let's consider what the Proverbs have to say about words that heal. As sure as we are that words can hurt us because we've all experienced it, do you know that in Christ, God's called every one of us to the ministry? In 2 Corinthians, we're told that you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. In that same passage, it says that you're an ambassador. Just as the President sends out emissaries to foreign nations as His representative, God sends you. And you have the capacity, this is astonishing to me, to extend the grace of God into the lives of people around you by what you say. Proverbs 15, words that heal. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Verse 2, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. Verse 4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life. That's going back to the Garden of Eden. The way it was supposed to be. Have you realized that the river of the grace of God Almighty can flow through your little life, out of your little vocal cords, through your lips into the lives of others? Colossians says, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to respond to each person. Proverbs says that even a hard word can be full of the healing power of Christ if it's the right word. Proverbs 28, He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. 
How consecrated must our tongue be? Is there any leeway inside the kingdom of Christ in the reign and lordship of Jesus over our mouths where we can violate the command to speak words that heal? Ephesians says it clearly. Not written just to the individual, but to the local church. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do you believe? Do you believe that the syllables that come out of your mouth can give the grace of Christ to your neighbor? Hebrews 13 I misinterpreted for years. And I memorized the passage years before and continued to misinterpret it. <laughs> Hebrews 13, uh, Hebrews 3, verse 13 says, Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I thought it meant, I need to encourage you so that you won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's not what it means, though I'm sure that's true. It means I need to encourage you every day so that I will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know whose heart cannot be hard toward God? The person who's always trying to encourage other people to get closer to Christ. Stop waiting for somebody to encourage you and start pointing other people to Jesus and guess who's going to be encouraged? You are. Words can hurt and words can heal. But number two, words are simply a witness. They're a witness of what's in your heart. Words are witnesses of what is in our heart. If I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, 1 Corinthians 13, if I can say all kind of things so eloquently, if I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Words are witnesses of what's in your heart. Learning to control our tongue will keep the spokesperson from trouble. He who guards his mouth and his tongue, Proverbs 21, guards his soul from trouble. And if we don't know what to say, the best thing to do is what our mom and grandmother told us all our life. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. Remember Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration? The glory of Jesus revealed. He knew not what to say, so he said. And then he followed that up with, hey Jesus, I have a great idea. Let me build you a tabernacle and Moses one and Elijah one. You see, Peter was just as impressed with Moses and Elijah as he was with Jesus. But Moses and Elijah were impressed with Jesus. He didn't know what to say, so he said. Oftentimes, when we say the wrong thing at the wrong time, it's because our heart is not fixed on the One who deserves our praise and our attention, our adoration and our worship. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, do not be hasty in word, or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, 
let your words be few. Words are witnesses of what's in our heart. Our relationship with the Lord, in that relationship with the Lord, it is okay to pour out your heart to Him. We're told to cast our anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for us. And when your heart is anxious, you don't know how to put it right. And God tells you in that frame to just say it. Tell Him. Tell Him what you feel and what you think. Tell Him what you fear and what troubles you. On the other hand, we're not to fill up the silence in God's presence with our verbose words. Because our hearts love to hear ourselves talk sometimes. When we're praying, Jesus said, don't use meaningless repetition like the Gentiles do. They think that God's going to hear them because they use a lot of words. No, 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 no. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So sometimes we just need to say, God, You know. And sometimes we need to pour it all out there. Similarly, when we speak to our fellow man, we must not presume that we have all the right answers or that everybody needs to hear our incessant ramblings about everything that we think. Just because you think it doesn't mean you need to say it. Proverbs 15.28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Do you see the difference? Isn't it often the case in our small groups here at Grace Church, we call them grace groups, isn't it often the case, not always, but often, that the person with the most helpful insights into God's Word or into a situation, the person who gives input into a situation that is often the most helpful is the person who speaks the least. Isn't that often true? Few words or many words, that's not the goal though. The goal is a heart that is occupied by God which yields a mouth that speaks in a way that glorifies Him and guides others to Him. Words are witnesses of what's in our heart. The same thing is true for God. Proverbs 2.6, For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. How does the Lord give wisdom? How does He transfer it? How does He deliver it? From His mouth. The wisdom that is within God comes out in what He says. That's also the pattern that we're called to emulate as the people of God. To first acquire wisdom. There's no microwave way to do that. It is soaking in the presence of God in prayer over His Word as He shapes our heart more and more into the image of Christ. As we acquire wisdom through attention to His Word, fellowship with Christ, and our heart is changed, then we communicate God's character to others through what we say. Think of the pattern of the Lord Jesus. The words that I say to you, Jesus said, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does His works. Isn't that amazing? Jesus said that the words that Jesus said are not the words of Jesus. The words I say to you, I'm not speaking on my own initiative. He was so consecrated to the Father all the way down to the muscle in his mouth, that he wouldn't utter syllables unless the Father, to quote him in another place, gave him commandment what to say and what to speak. 
The officers got it right when they went to the Pharisees in John 7, and they said concerning Jesus, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. That's because Jesus would say in John 8.28, I speak the things that the Father has taught me. Can we say that? Is our tongue that consecrated? He is the standard of what a consecrated tongue looks like. The Bible teaches that there's a direct connection between our words and our heart. Proverbs is the most clear book in the Bible about this. Proverbs 15.7 The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but the hearts of fools are not so. Proverbs 18.21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You talk about what you love. You talk about what you love. You talk about what you love. If you love others, you'll talk to them in loving ways. Speech is always a heart issue. I don't know if surgically one can be removed without the other physically because that's way beyond my pay grade, but spiritually, your tongue and your heart are connected. It's why Jesus said some of the hardest things He ever spoke. You brood of vipers! How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Pastor Rick often says to us, what's in the well will come up in the bucket. What he means is, what's in your heart is going to come up out of your mouth. Isn't this what the brother, brother of Jesus taught us in the book of James? So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets the course of our life, sets on fire the course of our life. And the tongue is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Listen to this. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth, James says, come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, produce olives and a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. He's talking about consecration. This is basically a sermon on Romans 6 that James is writing. Let the members of your body, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your nose, your hands, your feet, consecrate yourself to the Lord. Just like in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple, they would not use the vessels that were dedicated for worship and sacrifice for common use. And in the same way, the New Testament writers say, you're the vessel. You're the vessel. Consecrate your tongue to the Lord. About such people, Jesus said, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, 
This people honors Me with their lips, but their heart, their heart is far away from Me. Words reveal what's in our heart. Godless speech. Tearing other people down. Doing harm. Even with flattering words. Ungodly speech. How does God feel about it? How does God feel about it? You see, we can't change each other's heart. And we're not about behavior modification. Let's just all talk nicer to everybody. This is a worship issue. Hath God really said? Were the first words of Satan. This is a worship issue. Proverbs 12, lying lips. How does God feel about that? Proverbs 12.22 Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. One of the most sobering passages, not in Proverbs, though certainly there, but in the whole Bible, is in Proverbs 6. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies. And one who spreads strife among his brothers. Did you catch that out of the seven, three of them are related to the tongue and the first sentence of that passage says, these are an abomination to God. 43% of the stuff God hates comes out of our mouth. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God wanted Israel to know that He sees through our words down to our heart. Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceit. Jeremiah 9. With his mouth, one speaks peace to his neighbor, but inwardly, he sets an ambush for him. Shall I not punish them for these things? declares the Lord. That's why the excellent wife in Proverbs 31 is to be so admired. Ladies, she opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Words can hurt and words can heal and words reveal what's in our heart. And finally, Proverbs says so eloquently, Words are essential for our everlasting salvation. This is where we close. And on this fourth Sunday of Advent, just a couple of days before we together celebrate with our family and friends and loved ones the incarnation of Christ, that great miracle of God wrapping Himself in human flesh. Words are essential for our salvation. Just briefly, I want you to think about the Word and I want you to think about Gospel words. Words are necessary for our salvation and Gospel words are necessary for our salvation. When God in eternity past in the happy fellowship of His triune glory planned to save sinners. When God devised the plan to atone for our sins. 
to use it in legal terminology, to exculpate, to set free sinners from their guilt. When God decided to satisfy the demands of His own justice concerning our law-breaking, when God thought up a way to forgive us, when God, beyond all those glorious things I've just said, decided also to trump all of that by the imputation of His own righteousness to us, to make us right in His sight forever, and beyond that, to adopt us into His forever family as His own children, to invite us into everlasting joy which He has enjoyed in His triune glory, Father, Son, and Spirit, for endless ages, to accomplish all of that, what did He do? The Word. The Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He. The Logos. And the Word, John 1.14, the Word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Gospel is the good news that unlike creation, God did not speak only outside of Himself and constructively make a universe. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, in the former days, God spoke to our fathers and the prophets, but in these last days, He talked to us in His Son. He sent the Word. He sent heaven's favorite. Dear friends, the old adage, share the Gospel with everybody and if necessary, use words, is a really catchy turn of phrase and entirely unbiblical. The Gospel is words. It's news. It's a message. The good news. The euangelion. The Gospel. The news. Listen to the way Paul talks about Gospel words. Because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, he writes to the Colossians, of which you previously heard in the Word of truth, the Gospel. The Bible teaches that Jesus is wisdom incarnate. That is... He is the perfect message. Jesus is the perfect Word. He is the quintessential revelation of God. He is the Logos of God. He is the speech of God. He is the Word. Now I want you to think about Him. This Jesus, we celebrate, and rightly so, as the virgin-born come in flesh Truly man, truly God. The One in whom all the fullness of God dwells bodily. Colossians 2. This One is the same One who created the universe that you inhabit. He's the One. Little Jesus, meek and mild. Wrapped in swaddling cloths. Laid in that little feeding trough. He is the One that spoke creation into existence. He made His own mother. Now I want you to think about your redemption. Instead of speaking, which had already been a climactic demonstration of the almighty power of God, He didn't even have to lift a finger to create the universe. He simply spoke and it is. Instead of speaking, this same Jesus remained perfectly silent. 
Christ, Peter writes, was led like a lamb to the slaughter, silent before His shearers. He didn't say a word so that you could one day raise your voice in praise to God, His Father, as your Father. Jesus, who had ever known the Father's pleasure, always walking in the light of being God's beloved Son, always hearing the announcement that echoes through the Gospels that He is the One in whom the Father takes great delight, is the same One who at Golgotha tacked to a piece of wood on that God-forsaken hill, He's the One who heard deafening silence as the Father turned His back on the Son. He is God's speech. He is the Word. And the Word heard nothing from the Father in that moment of God-forsaken wrath when He became a curse for us on the tree. And He was condemned for us. And why did He get the Father's back? So that you never would. Why did He get deafening silence? So that Zephaniah 3.17 could be written in the Bible that God rejoices over you with shouts of joy. He's a victorious warrior in your midst singing over you at all times of His infinite love. The same love that He had for the Son, Jesus said, is the very love that He has for you because of what Jesus has done. The Gospel is the message. The Gospel is the message that God is love. Not only that God is love, that would be true without you, but that He loves you. God sent Jesus to die for you so that while He went silently to the cross and silently suffered under the wrath of God for your sin and mine, all of that silence happened so that you could sing forever in praise to God. And the song of heaven is going to be made up of every language under the sun. God has already promised we are not in doubt about this. We don't know who He's going to save, but we are absolutely sure that He is going to save from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. All the choruses of all the cultures will rise in praise to Jesus. And my question for you on this fourth Sunday of Advent is will your voice be among that choir? Rejoicing in the Lamb who purchased us for God with His own blood. Isaiah chapter 50 is one of the four servant songs written 700 years before Jesus was born. And Isaiah chapter 50 says, concerning Jesus, the Lord God has given me the tongue of, the, of disciples so that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. I believe Jesus is speaking to you. And there are two ways that I believe He wants us to respond to this Word. Number one, be saved. First Corinthians 21. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. 
This same Jesus who suffered God's wrath in deafening silence is now the object of all of heaven's praise. The Son of God who once had the Father's back turned on Him at the cross forsaken so that you would never be, is the same One who as we are gathered here is the delight of the Father with the glory of the Father and the power of the Spirit beaming from the face of the Son. All of heaven is rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And a saving response for you today to the Gospel message that Jesus who once died is now risen and reigning would be this. Words. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. The best word you will have ever uttered in your entire life is Jesus. Would you please save this sinner? And number two, consecrate your tongue to Jesus. We could have said so much more about the danger and the harm that words can do. And we could have said so much more just from the book of Proverbs about the good and the travel of grace that words can give to those who are near to us. And we ought to be thankful that Hebrews 6.18 is true. It's impossible for God to lie. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we would lay our tongue on the altar of Christ and say, Father, would You cause this little muscle to become an instrument through which You play the music of heaven. That I could be an ambassador that rightly represents the King. That my lips, as Havergal said, would be filled with messages, Lord, from Thee. Proverbs 10, verse 20, I close with this. And this is my prayer for us all. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. Let's be wealthy in words of righteousness. Join me as we pray together. Father in Heaven, we do thank You that You have revealed Yourself in creation. You say in Psalms that Day to day, the heavens pour forth speech. But we thank You that You trumped that in a more climactic way, revealing Yourself not only through creation, but through Your Word written. This special deposit of the infallible, inerrant, inspired Word of God. Thank You for the Scriptures. And astonishingly, You've given an even more glorious Revelation of Yourself. God the Son, the Word incarnate. So thank You, Lord, for speaking to us. We're all without excuse. None can say, God hasn't done enough. God hasn't said enough. And I don't know what to do. And I don't know what He wants of me. You have made so crystal clear through Your Word written and through Your Son, our Savior, exactly what You require of us and what You have provided for us. And our prayer is that You would be glorified in our hearts. Because from the heart, our mouth speaks. And Father, we together cry, You can have our tongue. You can have our mouth. You can have our lips. We give You our vocal cords. What a privilege 
What a privilege to be an instrument through which you play the music of Gospel grace. Would you cause us to be the spokespeople that Christ died to redeem? And cause us to be the kind of friends and brothers and sisters and ambassadors of the Gospel in this wicked world. Cause us, God, to be the people through whom You pour out Your message of love and grace in Christ. And we pray that that would typify this church. That that would be the dominant pattern of this church. That we would be gracious in our speech to each other. And that we would be upbuilding for Christ's sake. And You would cause us to have the testimony of the prophets who say, the burden of the Word of the Lord came to me. God, would You cause us to be able to share the burden of Your Word with those around us. Even this Christmas season, Lord, we're going to be around so many family and friends and loved ones. Oh, Father, open our mouth. Open our lips. Fill us with messages from You, Lord. Allow us to commend Your love, but would You do more than that and open the hearts of our loved ones and cause them to receive and believe Your Gospel truth. We pray that for those in our midst now. Father, in conclusion, I pray for those who won't pray for themselves. The people around us who don't know what it's like to have the joy of belonging to You. Father, would You come in power and open hearts to believe the Gospel and cause people to throw themselves into the wonderful arms of Jesus. The Word. And Lord, we ask that as You're merciful to those around us, that You would help us to be the faithful disciple-makers You've called us to be in their lives. As we respond now in song and in the Lord's Supper, or by remaining seated in meditation on these matters, we commit ourselves to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. We are going to respond in the Lord's Supper, and as the music is playing, you are invited to respond as the Lord leads. Either remaining seated where you're at, or by coming to the Lord's table. For those who are new with us, if you didn't catch what Pastor Nathan said, the elements are to my left. If you would make your way to those, and then somewhere behind me, gather in groups of six or eight, and then one of the members of our church will be in at least every group, and we're going to ask one of our members to give a prayer of thanks for the Gospel. And then after prayer, take together the bread and the cup representing the body and the blood of Christ. Following that time, if you'll make your way back to your seats, then we'll conclude the service momentarily. You respond as the Lord leads. You're invited to the table.